Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On this episode, I am joined by Johnny Stewart and Bill Thompson of Spartan Forge. Bill is one of the masterminds behind utilizing military artificial intelligence and machine learning to predict deer movement. And Johnny is using his years of experience to compare the two. So we discussed the Spartan Forge Outfitter, the difference between mature bucks movement compared to other bucks, defining a mountain bucks core area, hunting the right scrapes in the big woods, and a lot more in between. And as I said, this episode is brought to you by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. Recently, Onyx added elite membership benefits for all elite users to get deals on other hunting companies as well as free memberships to other scouting tools like Hunt and Fool and Top Rut. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app for yourself, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save 20%. Tethered. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. I'm currently using the Phantom Saddle System with the Predator platform for all my mobile hunts. To learn more about Tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors, through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. The products are back with a lifetime, no-fault warranty, and an incredible customer experience. I just started messing around with the new RF1 rangefinder, and it's really different than anything I've ever used. The wheel on the side of it allows you to change the brightness and go through the menu easily and on the fly. If you use a coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT, you get a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. And uh, the whole reason behind this show and one of the guests here, one of the founders, Bill from Spartan Forge and Hunters, require an accurate forecast of the best hunting days and the best hunting spots to save time on scouting and actually executing the hunts. And the Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from those millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. You hear a whole lot more about that on this episode here, but you can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off the Outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. This week's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, or otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday, over on social media, comes from Sam Tebos. And Sam said, Bo, I wanted to reach out and say thank you for putting out great content. This August, I moved from Michigan to Eastern Kentucky for a PT school. I was excited about the challenge of hunting the mountains, and man, it was a challenge. I found you when I started researching hunting whitetails in the Appalachian Mountains and found your mountain buck scouting series you did with Onyx. I've since listened to all of your podcasts and finally made it happen on this giant mountain buck on a morning before class in November. I directly used your advice for hunting river bottoms and it worked. Man, this 
one, that's an awesome story. And the fact that Sam was able to figure it out in such a short amount of time with moving down there, making the best of his time, hunting before school, just doing whatever it takes to get it done on an incredibly great buck. It's a nice wide nine point beautiful deer you can see it over on uh, the east meets west hunt instagram and east meets west outdoors on facebook don't forget to send in your story and uh, i'd love to share it on an upcoming episode all right so before we get into this episode just have a few things to comment on those from over the weekend did a lot of scouting i i think i put on just over 17 miles um, and, and also went out a couple days after work. So I, I, I don't know, it was probably somewhere around 25 miles total last week and found some really good sign in places. And I tried expanding, uh, some of my areas and going to different places and, and some of those places weren't exactly what I expected. And that's, that's okay. That just helps me narrow down, you know, what, what I'm going to be focusing on this year and, some places I didn't, I went into this one spot, it was super remote. I was about three miles back in there and came across some illegal ATV trails and a whole bunch of other stuff that just ladder stands and stuff that just really made you, I don't know, just, it sucked. And then, uh, had a, a camera card stolen and turned off with ATV tracks that went up in front of it on this old logging road that was not a trail and no ATVs are allowed there. Just really uh that part kind of sucked but from the you know looking at it from a positive i know which areas to avoid and also got to go into some areas where i had uh where i felt like i was in the wheelhouse of some big bucks last year and just started walking every square inch of it trying to learn every nook and cranny to just better understand the lay of the land how the deer might be using it why they might be using it that way uh, it was just, it was great. And over all of those miles, I picked up a total of three sheds last week. So it wasn't, wasn't a whole lot of areas. Apparently I was scouting. We're not uh, wintering areas much. Well, some of them kind of look like it, but I just either didn't see them or didn't pick them up. But um, been a slow year for finding sheds for me, but been mostly focused on scouting the areas for the fall. And I, I think a lot of the lot of the spots where they might be at uh, are in more wintering type areas. I may end up spending a couple days of just, depending if I get ahead on my scouting, to be able just to go and check out some some areas and really grid search it, see if I can pick up some antlers. But anyways, I'm really looking forward to it. This week, I'm going to Dan Staten's Elk Shape Camp down uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So I'm heading down there for a three-day elk shape camp and just going to enjoy it and then get back to scouting. And And while I've been scouting, I've been recording all of it on video and getting putting together, just logging a bunch of content to be able to upload on YouTube going forward. So I have a whole new Mountain Buck Scouting series of episodes that come out this year. Justin's coming out to film in a couple more weeks again. It's uh, I'm, I'm really pumped to start getting some of this stuff out. So thanks everyone for listening. And I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy this podcast with Johnny Stewart and Bill Thompson. Have a good week. (sighs) 
Well, you guys have Bush. Or no, you have, what do you have? Now it's Sam Adams. Sam Adams. Sam Adams. Uh, Colts, now that's pretty good. Right? It is good, isn't it? And I got a white claw, so there's no laws. And Liam has dumpster chips. <laughs> and dumpster chips. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, good for you. We're sitting here in uh, Johnny's camp as it's being renovated to say the least i would say or completely rebuilt redone maybe. rebuilt yeah maybe rebuilt so i'm sitting here with a guest that's been on i don't know half a dozen times or so now i'm sick of talking to him but everyone likes hearing him <laughs> <laughs> johnny stewart a lot and of then, hot air then i have our our new friend over here bill thompson spartan forge cheers guys yeah bill welcome welcome to the podcast here well thanks for having me yeah. awesome yeah great well, camp I'm glad you got to come up here and and hang out a little bit. That was that was really cool. You were pretty when when we were talking. We really wanted to do uh, one in person, just to well, one to get to meet each other in person, and it just seems to flow better. And we were just joking ahead of time. We should have been had the mics on for the last hour. You're we standing <laughs> <Yep>. here, <laughs> yeah, which exactly. always always seems to happen. But Bill's diving into scientific stuff. <laughs> I believe the word you used, the technical term, was bullshit. <laughs> he was talking. I was like, man, Bill, that's some bullshit there. That's some Keep stuff that I don't know about. Yeah. yeah, he's like, Bill, he's got all that scientific bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> With the, Literally. Yeah, and and so, Bill, if, if, um, if anyone doesn't know who you are, just to kind of get going here at They've heard your company at the beginning of this podcast now for a little bit, and I'd promised that that I'd have you on. I told uh, as far as the listeners and said that. All right, so to give a better understanding of what what this whole thing is about. Um, but before we we get into that, I just want to give a little background on yourself, if you would. Uh, yeah, my name's Bill Thompson. I'm a right now still active duty military officer. Um, I'll, I'll have 21 years in July. I'm retiring in July, and. Um, you know, I've been a whitetail hunter for a serious whitetail hunter for I don't know a little over ten years, and uh, uh, while I was in the military, uh, I first started like in the military intelligence uh, background, and uh, after a few years, uh, <clears throat> got into the machine learning and artificial intelligence and some other stuff to kind of um, at the time try to take advantage. You know, there's a ton of data out there, and the and the military wants to take advantage of these things to try to prosecute the war on terror. And uh, I, I worked in those spaces for a while, and pretty much every time I learned something new or Im there, a new program was implemented or something I was a part of or I was using, I constantly thought to myself, this is something that would probably kill some help someone kill a white-tailed deer, right? There's like these, uh, there are these uh, <clears throat> analogs, you know, I talk about with white-tailed deer and with terrorists, and it might sound disingenuous or kind of goofy, but it's true, right? I mean, they're trying to avoid detection. Mm -hmm. They want to carry out whatever their mission is, which, you know, in a whitetail's case, it's survival, you know, survival food, and, and women. And it doesn't, the, the, the departure, the normative departure for a terrorist isn't all that much different. It's food, women, and, 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 and I guess. They kind you of know, fall along the same trail, too. Beer, right, maybe. Yeah. Does, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You might have to add beer to the equation for us. But, you know. Yeah. But, you know, so when you're, you're training these systems and that data is out there and, and, uh, you know. I had some other buddies that we had developed some products um, with an organization in the government called DARPA, um, which is kind of like the mad scientists of the Department of Defense. And uh, I kind of, you know, sold them on this idea. And I said, you know, the three of us should get together and do this with whitetails. I think there's a gap in the market here. Mm 
where machine data learning and or data um, machine learning and data science isn't being you know taken to its logical end here, where it is in other places. Um, so you know we started this company and it was a long time of data gathering, but you know about 18 months ago or so we had our first artificial intelligence, which is part of our group of artificial intelligences that we call phalanx. And uh, yeah, we 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 you know oriented ourselves towards entering into the market, and we did that this year, and I think with great success so far. So that's kind of the the long and the short of Bill Thompson. Yeah, well, that that was you covered that pretty good, and and the the one thing that I'll say is when you first actually I think Greg Litzinger told me about you and your company before you had reached out to me yeah. and. I think we were, I at yeah. we were at camp. We were at camp. He said, "This Bill guy, he like finds these um, terrorists, and he's using it to find deer." And so it was during hunting season. I was like, "Oh, that's that's something we need." That sounds insane. <laughs> well, really, I mean, you study him to that point. I, I was like, in, I said, "That's that's cool," you know. Yeah, and 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 I'm obviously. I mean, I think anybody probably would be skeptical when you hear something like that that comes up and. The only reason why I, I'll be honest, Bill gave it merit at the beginning was because Greg had said it to me, and I trust Greg's opinion very well. Because I, the reason why I say that is not is because not to discredit you of any way, but like you see so many things that are out there now. Oh, this will predict deer movement. This app does this, and to me, it seems like the same things of putting weather together and you know people's opinions that are thrown in the mix. And I, I don't know, I was just skeptical on it, but Greg kept telling me about it and going through it. And then you reached out to me and then you, uh, you called me on the phone, I believe, and were explaining it to me. And it was an overwhelming amount of information <laughs> the yes. first time, you yeah. know, as we were going through it and you're like, here, let me, let me give you access to the outfitter and just play with it, do yeah. some things. And, and I, and that was back in the end of November or something like that. And I started doing, uh, so I started correlating it from that point forward with some of my trail camera photos because at that point I wasn't hunting as much to be able to to use it um, because it was right around that time. I think it was like the following weekend is when I killed my buck with Johnny. And uh, so I was using it more so with trail cameras and I was like, this is really cool the way that this is working and things were lining up incredibly well and just learning more and, and I... And and you can talk a little bit more about how how that all works. I was planning on waiting until later in the podcast to discuss this, but we're ready to talk. Yeah, about we're it, here. So. so let's just <laughs> well, the, biggest, the biggest thing for me is the same thing. Greg's like, oh, you got to, you know. I'm like, all right. So he's like, here's Bill's number. Call him. And I start. I heard a couple of times me and Bill talked on a phone for two oh, hours. And I was like, oh, this guy's yeah. like me. Yeah, I said we could talk all night about deer. And oh, I could. I couldn't imagine having you two on the phone. Oh, it was it was ridiculous. <laughs> so like, <laughs> my girlfriend was like, she would see you your even name know on this the guy. Phone. <laughs> no, she'd see your name on the phone. Like, and she'd be like, oh, oh here we I'm go. Losing Bill for three hours yeah. now. That's what's happening. <laughs> but after I talked to Bill on the phone, I uh, said this guy's a lot like me. Where he hunts the public land, how he hunts, and he's very passionate about it. And um, so he's using what he does in a military to bring it in you know i'm in an ex in the excavation business i can't bring that into hunting it just ain't working that's what i know i'm a ditch digger <laughs> but this guy you here put in a watering <laughs> hole <laughs> you're right i could somebody's got to clear away the woods so the deer can browse so I mean. I, that's about all i can do but what bill does for a living it's like if like i could put myself in his shoes and how we talked about deer and then he uh, this artificial intelligence he does, and he 
brought it into deer hunting. I'm like, wow, this, I got to follow this, you know, and get, get involved in this, you know, so. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's one of those things too, where I'm not offended at all by skepticism. Like I think everything, especially in this industry, right. Should be met with a healthy amount of skepticism. Like if you're not doing that, right, you're properly wasting your money and your time. So that, that one of the things like what we're going to be doing over the, over the spring here is we're going to have the scouting feature <clears throat> that is going to allow you to, um, you know, understand the regional uh, variances of, or, or the patterns that happen with weather. So like if you are going to Missouri or Southern Ohio for a hunt and you can kind of pull that place up and look at it and then understand here's the predominant wind and all that stuff. The other thing that we'll be coupling with that and the reason I bring this up is because there's also going to be a historical prediction function. So you're going to be able to look at prediction in the past. So if you have, That's trail, what I if, like. if you have like a soaked trail camera, which I do a lot of generally because I forget I have trail cameras in places, especially on public land. I'm sure that there's like 12 or 15 public land trail cameras that are like, you know, like a muddy, like generation one from 2007 that's just sitting somewhere in a swamp Yeah, um, that I'll eventually get around to. Um, but you can, you can pull those cards, go back and then look at the predictions and line it up for yourself. Yeah. And I encourage people to do that because when you start looking at when you're getting your, the majority of your daytime photos and or you're getting your buck movement or you're getting your rut, rutting behavior on that camera, you're going to be able to look back and weigh the outfitter yourself. And I encourage people to do that because the pro staff that I've brought on so far has all been, has all had the same type of um, skepticism. Like with especially Garrett and Andy May, I think we're both two guys who are like, I'm going to have to look at this. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm, I will not attach myself to this. And, 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 and John as well. Um, it, unless it is, uh, it, unless it does what you claim it does. So like with Garrett, I think it was a Garrett Prawl, like the DIY sportsman. Yep. I think it was a couple of months before he got like got back to me and said, yeah, like he had put some cameras out and it was Andy and John. Um, you know, there was a reach out and then there was a period of silence. And yeah. then someone would circle back around and say, hey, actually, you know, this seems to be doing something. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be accurate in some way. And, and what I always say to people is, A, th that skepticism you should bring, right? Because yeah. I'm asking for your money, yeah. right? And yeah. then secondly... Um, if it doesn't work, I'll make it work. Um, and thirdly, I don't want anyone on this pro staff or associated with this company who wouldn't be willing to do that diligence. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm not, snake oil salesmen are like the worst people in the world to me, right? Like, just, I'm just going to sell you something because my name is great. Yeah. Or you watch me kill a bunch of deer and that just, you know, is not the way I, I choose to do business. So I encourage people when we, when we come out with the historical prediction, go pull a deer camera card, you know, just getting, well, in July, you'll be able to use my app to do it. But for now, um, go and pull a camera, throw it into an Excel spreadsheet. Every time you get daytime movement in a spot where you generally get, n normally you're getting nighttime movement, and then just line it up. I mean, uh, you know, with the pro staff that I've been dealing with, they're all in the six, I think the numbers are about 62 to 67% of the time. When there's a daytime picture, when there's normally not daytime activity, the outfitter is saying, you know, it's transition or full range or something along those lines. So th that's really why I'm dealing with the people that I'm dealing with. And, and in the past, and I've said this, and I'm not disparaging anyone, right? Because people got to make a living. But, you know, if I reached out to somebody and they got back to me with like, here are my rates. Like, this is what it'll take for me to plug your product. Let me know when you're ready to sign the check. 
I'm almost like, okay, I can't deal with this person. Because yep. yep. what else have they plugged in the past mm-hmm. Just that's been total it. snake oil? BS. Right. And what and, and 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 now I'm attaching my name and my work to them. Yeah, you're right. Um, so you know, that makes sense. And I understand people got to get a paycheck. I'm not disparaging those people. Right. Everyone's got to hustle. It's just <laughs> figuring out what that person's particular hustle yeah, is. Well, the biggest yeah, thing is, is all the data he has. It's not just the moon. Hey, here's the deer live by the moon, or not just the the barometric pressure. It's all the different resources you have. To yeah, but it's also like temporal data or like the timing data related to those things. So, like a lot of people, like one of the things that I've learned that how whitetail generally react to things like barometric pressure is. There are areas of the country where uh, barometric pressure will get a big buck moving. And then there are areas of the country where barometric pressure will get a buck on his belly for two or three days. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of these deer, it seems, especially in areas like uh, the Midwest, North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, we have a tiny amount of data in Minnesota. But they all seem to bear out that when you have like a five and a half or a six and a half year old deer that is sensing like a really strong storm, storm system. Or, or I should say a storm system is in the forecast, right? It seems a lot of these deer will try to sit it out. They'll just be like, I'm going to sit on my fat. I have a fat store. Yeah. I'm going to let this fat store carry me through the next two or three days. And then after the storm's gone and dissipated and everything's normal again, then I'll go out and feed. Whereas a lot of like the two and a half and three and a half year old deer will just be feeding as, as much as they can, as often as they can. And that's like when you're seeing like a ton of deer in the field at like two in the afternoon. But those, you know, the wiser bucks know, you know, storms generally don't last that long. The safer course of action is just to sit on my belly. That's cool. And wait for this to be over with. Yeah. And that's like one of the interesting data points that we get here. And, and you don't get to, you can't, make a, you can't make a statement like that or say something like that until you've seen, you know, 50 or 60 trophy class bucks engage in that type of behavior. Yeah. Which is what you can do whenever you've got, you know, we're, we're nearing like 600 years of collared deer data. Wow. And what that means is, is if you were to be one hunter observing deer 20, you know, 24 hours a day, well, actually I think it's 12 hours a day is how we got to 600, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. That's how many movement vectors we have. So in order to have the amount of requisite knowledge to make the predictions that our system makes, you'd have to be 350 years old. Mm-hmm. So where do these data points come from? So, um, the overwhelming majority of them come from like collared deer studies. So, um, we have some close relationships with, uh, uh, a couple of universities, uh, for instance, um, Auburn is one of them where they do a ton of collared GPS deer studies where they'll, um, tranquilize a deer, uh, take some measurements, shave some hair off, you know, they're trying to learn the biology of the animal because, you know, it's a, it's a money generation for the state and also just to understand the species and the economy that surrounds it. And then they'll tag the deer with a GPS collar. And then that GPS collar um, records uh, uh, points along a, a time scale. And some of them are as many, like f- every 15 minutes, it'll take a, it'll register a, a, G- a GPS hit on the ground. Some of them, some of the studies are like twice a day, it'll register a GPS, register a GPS hit on the ground. So you know, they'll, they'll, in a given year, trap 12, 15, 20 deer. They'll put a collar on them and then let them go. And then they'll, they'll record the waypoints and then look at it on the ground and learn what they need to learn. A lot of times is to study EHD or chronic wasting disease, blue tongue, hemorrhagic uh, disease, those types of things. And then all I do is I, I go to these universities. Like when I, when I worked with Auburn, I said, look, 
There's three of us. We're engineers. Uh, we deal in artificial intelligence. Uh, we can tell you if you have a large amount of a, vo a large volume of data that no one person could go through, which they certainly have. We can put some engineers on it. We can we can develop some um, a neural network that will crunch the numbers and do the analysis for you. And we can probably tell you things about this about this data that you don't know. Um, because just simply because you can't have you know 50 people <laughs> sitting in front of computers going through all of these things and marking all of these waypoints and then trying they they can only learn like whatever the purpose of the study was right but there's more data there and if you want to be uh good stewards of the taxpayer money the state money or the university money then yeah these these uh these these academics say yeah you know, take a look at the data. So that's kind of like the exchange. The exchange is, look, I'm going to use your data to train my artificial intelligence and educate it on how deer choose to move and when they choose to move. And for that, I'm going to give you, you know, like, you know, our, our top engineer is a guy named Jimmy. And I, I forget to ask them. I never know if they want me to <laughs> bring up their last names or not. But he's a, uh, him and, and this other guy, Vaughn, are artificial intelligence experts. They've been doing it in the DOD for many years. And, uh, they, you know, if you were to hire them to do work, you we're talking about like 300 bucks an hour, like to get them to look at data. So when we go to like a university and say, look, we're, I'm going to give you a hundred hours of this guy crunching the numbers on your data and give you a bunch of interesting stuff that you may not have known, you know, the wise person is all over that. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause you're getting more bang for your buck. Oh yeah. So that's like the first point of contact. And I would say that comprises like something about 80% of the outfitters, um, no, probably 90% of how the outfitter predicts. And then there's some secondary and tertiary points, which would be car collision data, um, measurements of uh, uh, either harvested or um, incidentally discovered uh, uh, doe data, like, you know, a doe's on the side of the road or they find it in the, in the woods. They, and it was pregnant, so they me they're measuring conception dates. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then some other, like, really esoteric stuff or, or, or like, really random uh, ways that we get this, this data. So all of that gets gets put together to train the model, and then that's that's what separates our model from everyone else. Because the other models that are out there, the other systems, are people observing deer movement. Like, oh, deer seem to show up in this field like when this condition is correct, right? The problem with that is you have like an OODA loop of like your observe, orient, decide, and act loop of how you are generating data, and the problem becomes it's highly reliant on how that person chooses to hunt <laughs> that will drive how many deer he sees. And I'm not even saying they're bad hunters. What I'm saying is if you've got a guy like a John Stewart, who's only hunting five and a half or six and a half year old deer, and you're asking him for observational data on how the general deer moves, that just won't work. No. Yeah. Cause he's seeing, he's hunting places where he's going to see one or two deer in a given period, like a week. Whereas if you're just chasing does, Right. It's going to come down to stand selection and how you choose to hunt. So you've in involved the human in a way that really corrupts your ability to do prediction. Does that? Am I making yeah. sense? Because if I'm not, tell me. No, that sounds. Yeah, you're, you're because, right. I'm because because if, you. if you're to take, I'm not, I'm not going to slander anyone else's work or companies or effort because I think everyone probably brings something to the table, even these other prediction systems. But what 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 takes the human out is when I slap a collar on a deer. Because the neural network now is only being educated by the deer. Yep. The deer moves when the deer chooses to move based on weather and topography and vegetative cover. Mm -hmm. Right? We know that. That's, that's, you, that, is, that is how they choose to move because those are the environmental factors in play. So when the deer is directly feeding a model 
And, and, and then, you know, how I've kind of been saying this lately is this, the outfitter's goal and what we do with the composite of our artificial intelligences, which we call phalanx, its job is to predict deer movement. And its point of contact is deer movement that's generated from a GPS collar. So we've removed as much as we can the human from that loop. And it's simply the deer telling the model, here's when I choose to move. This is when I choose to be in the field in the middle of the day. This is when I choose to leave my bedding area. This is when I choose to be in transition earlier than normal, which is the things that hunters want to know before they go in the woods. Like nobody wants, you know, <clears throat> a lot of people might look at the outfitter and say, you know, the predictions right now that you're getting are core movement, transition movement, and then full range movement. Core movement means basically they're they're in their they're going to stay in their bedding areas during hunting hours, right? Well, that doesn't mean you shouldn't hunt. That just means you need to get on the beds if you want to hunt, yeah. right? Um, but if you're hunting in a property where <clears throat> it's your property that you manage, and maybe you've got like you know 50 acres somewhere, but and you know the bed the deer bed across the road, right? If you're looking at the outfitter, then you know what you don't want to do is go and hunt those deer on your property on a core day where they're not going to be leaving that bedding area until 6 or 7 p.m. when it's already dark because now all you've done is educated those animals. So if you're in that instance, you would want to not hunt a core day. But if you're public land hunting like all three of us do, okay, that, that's just telling me now I need to get as close as I can to those bedding areas because they're going to be concerned in those core areas. Hey, Bill, all this data that you're putting in there is daylight movement. Like so when you read the outfitter, so I read it and say, okay, core movement – um, it's all, it's telling you what's going to happen during the daylight hours. So like the it's ethical hunting hours. Yeah. Yeah. So it wouldn't be any utility to a hunter. That's a great question. A great point, by the way, Yeah, it was because, um, that was actually something I, it's funny. Cause that was the same thing Andy made talked to me about who we just brought on the pro staff. He said like, I don't know what to do with your prediction. He's like, got it. Deer in their core area. Um, how do I use that? And then I had this same interaction with him that I'm having with you right now. And he's like, Dude, you need to make like a video <laughs> and put that on your website. Uh, so that's why I went to Garrett and I was like, hey, Garrett, you're better at, you know, telling people how to use my stuff. Yeah. Please help me out with that. So he chopped a video up, up that we're going to put on the website that's going to kind of, you know, walk people through that because um, that's a very good point, right? Like the outfitter is telling you during illegal hunting hours when deer are most likely to either stay, remain in the core area, go into a transition area, which is like in between core and destination, which might be food, whatever. Um, and then, you know, how you can orient yourself based on so that. So destination is more like, all right, they might be up on their feet a little bit earlier and starting to move, but they might not get to those food sources or anything until after dark. But they're, they're moving earlier than they would be outside of their bedding areas. Is that right or no? Uh, I, I, I think you said destination at the beginning, yeah, yeah. um, but transition. Oh, transition. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah. That's so what I transition meant. would be, yeah. So, so how we, you, how we use the outfitter is, uh, or how we train the outfitter is we identify like core areas of vulnerability, which would be like a, a, a feeding station, which all of these GPS studies, they mark where their feeding stations are. Like I have on a map, like with Auburn again, for example, or with Texas, they mark where the food is, Right. So when I'm looking at a map, I know where the food is. I know where the fields are. I know where the areas of vulnerability where a deer might say, look, I'm going to wait until it's safe to go in there. So these places are marked on the map. And then what the system does is it recognizes 
all right, during core daylight hours, here's where the deer is spending most of his time. So the, the intelligence defines this thing as core area. So to your question, um, <clears throat> it identifies the day that it leaves the bedding area earlier, and then it, it accounts the weather, and then it catalogs it. And then, it, and then, it, and then also those, there's, there's those days where you're driving to work, and you drive by a field, and there's 25 deer out in the middle of a field. And you're like, what made those deer get into the middle of this field today and not any other day of the year, mm -hmm. right? So the outfitter recognizes those things as well. So I would consider that a full range day. You know okay. what I'm saying? If you were to see that in the GPS collar deer data, and I'm not sure I answered your No, no, that's there, exactly. So no, I'm that's sorry exactly. sorry if I didn't. That's exactly what I was looking at. So how do you, okay, say if you have some of this data from these other places, Auburn, Texas, and these stuff, how does that transition to a place like Pennsylvania? Good question. So we have data. We have a, a very meaningful amount of data from Pennsylvania itself, um, a very small amount of data from Pennsylvania itself. We also have quite a bit of New York, Maine, um, and Maryland, and West Virginia data. So what we have to do is, the technical term is like interpolate. So basically what we have to do is make a guess about how Pennsylvania is. We recently got some Pennsylvania d data that we were able to get from like an online repository for free. Um, so that helped us. And then we, what we did was we, we measured the, the outfitters prediction success against that actual data. And I don't remember what the numbers were, but we've never trained, we've never resulted lower than 61%, I think. And we've never gotten higher than 71%. Okay. So that's, just, uh, that is to say, I know, I know that we predicted that accurate. I'd have to go back and look at exactly how accurate. Um, but that's to say, um, Two thirds of the time, basically, we're giving you the right prediction on Pennsylvania data. Yeah, which um, is pretty incredible for a wild animal. It is. <laughs> no. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, now, I should say that's general data, right? So there's like a difference between general data and specific data, right? So you could say generally. Here's a way to explain this. Generally, if you were to look at maybe maybe I was trying to make an artificial intelligence that told me when people are more likely to be in the gym when they work out versus being outside. Right. So then say I collared a bunch of humans. Right. And now I'm looking at when they're in the gym and I'm looking at their, when they're outside and I'm noting the, the traffic on the roads. I'm noting the weather outside. I'm noting the time of year and all of those things. And then my artificial intelligence says, well, it seems to be when the weather is this, people hit the gyms. But it seems to be when the weather is this, people go outside. Right. Yep. Like that, that is, that, that is the way that this, this system is also doing that measurement, right? It's just accounting and recognizing the patterns and the variables that go into that. And then it's making a prediction. So again, to put, to, to put a circle on that, like Bo Martonic might not fit that mold. Mm -hmm. And what I'm finding more and more with mature deer is they don't fit the mold at all. Mm -hmm. um, and I, we talked about this earlier, which was one of the points that you, we, we said, hey, we got to remember to bring this up. <laughs> um, one of the things that we've, the, the conclusions that we've come to is we're probably going to need to train a mature buck model. They just don't follow what the majority of deer are doing in the woods. Mm -hmm. Like it's just from a data, a data and analytical perspective, if you were to just judge the species based on the data that they generate, like the collared data that they generate, you would say it's not a deer. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like when we're talking about five, six, seven, eight-year-old deer, if you were to look at like how the general deer moves, right? That's the general deer. And then how this seven and a half-year-old buck on, private, on public land moves, right? It's like night and night day. And day. Yeah. It, they couldn't be more different. 
Um, so we're, we're, I think we're getting close to being able to train a mature buck model that's going to have good prediction, but we're not there yet. But it's the same thing again. Like if, if you've got like a bow martonic and you're trying to predict that he may not follow the general consensus of, of when people go to the gym versus train outside. So that's a specific case, right? Yep. So he doesn't fit the bell curve. Yeah, that, that, but the majority of people do. Yeah. Like uh, I, I'd be interested if you threw a collar on Johnny and try to figure out his movements. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I, I got it down. So like in the, in the summertime, <laughs> I can't he's going to, he's this. during daylight hours, he's in an excavator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's going to happen. You know, wherever the government jobs are, he's going to be there. He's going to be working. As soon as that, the cold, cold front hits. You're right. little first frost. First frost hits. Johnny's no longer in the excavator, I, and he's in the I woods. disappear. He yeah. disappears. Yeah. He leaves his core area, <laughs> yeah. and he's in his full yeah, range yeah, at yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, right. Know, exactly. He's, he's out moving around. He's Precisely. in the woods. <laughs> I am pretty predictable now. Yeah. I, 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 I think, think we all I, get more I think predictable. I think I kill you. <laughs> but I remember. <laughs> I, think, I think we talked about that one time we did that podcast today. You know, if you're hunting humans... And everybody goes to McDonald's. Well, you're not going to kill me because I don't need a McDonald's. Right. But everybody's in a drive-thru. But nowadays, you could probably think I hit the drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You might catch me. So there's always that possibility. I'll be at the drive-thru with the rest of the... With the yahoos? Yeah. So nowadays. It might, it might, the, it might, that model might work. The rest of the you YouTube. never know. Because if you're, like you said, if you're following the general population... When it, maybe the does when maybe the old Johnny Stewart will slip in there like he's going to make you know I love it you know might slip in there to find the doe right right exactly no exactly and right. I feel that's like the smart. mature that's deer right. do, do satellite and they're involved with the rest of the deer population God I know why you've done six podcasts a year well, with this guy because well, he I, slips a pearl of wisdom in him every, what what I yeah no what I think you need to do if if I'm going to say this. If you're smart with your business, what you need to do, Bill, is you need to involve Johnny whenever you're doing anything as far as you're giving out data. You give the, the factual information, you put it to the point, and then have Johnny throw in the analogies. Right. Yeah. And well, I got some analogies. He's got oh, analogies. Man. And I, I think the team I think the team would work it, it, out. I, that's know? why he's on the pro staff, my friend. Yeah, I know. I, mean, I know. That's exactly that, So right. one of the first times we talked, I think I brought up the cheeseburger reference, right? Yeah, you had a good – And you Bill were like – some I'm like, man, we're on the same level. Right, right. Analogies, analogies, analogies. Yeah. Well, it's that so, – Because people can relate to right. how I hike in the woods so many hours and spend my time. I give you something that you can relate to so you can yeah. – And my old lady, like the other night I gave an analogy. I was doing a podcast, <laughs> and she's like, what? She's laughing like, you're crazy. I'm like, yeah, but – And I ex explain that to me. She's like, well, yeah, it does make sense. Right. Yeah, I mean, I tell people, I was talking to my guys that we were tr training the mature buck model. I'm telling them, look, we need to train this mature buck model. And I told them, like, look, you know, when you're hunting a six-and-a-half-year-old deer, you're hunting the Chuck Norris of deer. And, yeah. you know, when the general person walks through the woods, right, say we're in a situation where it's like, you know, 200 years ago, and you got a pot, not 200 years ago, 50 years ago, you have a pile of cheeseburgers in the woods, right? The majority of people are going to go like, pick up those cheeseburgers and run, right? Whereas, you know, Chuck Norris is walking up on the pile of cheeseburgers. He's like, oh, this is not good. I need to get the, as far away from this area as possible. Yeah. And that's what we see in the data. Like uh, one of the very interesting things <laughs> I tell people is um, uh, I just told a guy this the other night on the phone. Uh, there are – we know that because how – Again, I'm talking about Auburn a lot tonight, but there's interesting data we got from them. 
they mark their animals. They measure the antlers. They shave skin off and hair and they take samples. They get blood. They do all of this stuff. And we have the GPS collars. But then we also know where they have feeding stations on the land and there are cameras on the feeding stations. Oh, yeah. I remember you told me this. Yeah. And one of the things that we noticed was uh, the, the very mature bucks on this, which I think in this study there were two of them. I think it was two of them. These two deer, one was six and a half and one was seven and a half years years old. I would have the collared GPS data at the feeding station at night, and but they would go there to wind it and they'd leave. That's it. And they were and and then I go I'd pile I'd go through the camera data and I'd never see them on the camera, and I or or there you all they were doing was walking by the downwind side of that feeding station where they knew the does congregated, and just is there a hot doe in here? Nope, moving along. Like I'm not messing with the cheeseburger. I'm not messing with the pile of corn because th- what they did was they had corn feeders, yep. right? So you'd have this six and a half year old deer who probably learned as a two and a half year old that if I spend any time on that corn, I'm going to get a shot in the ass with mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So I- I- I'm not doing that or I've seen it happen. So I'm not doing that or what, or it could just be, and this is probably more likely because of the testosterone, they just won't, they just won't tolerate because of the testosterone, they just won't tolerate other deer. Yeah. So their only business that they have around those deer is to uh, scent check them and move along. Yeah, they want to know what's going on, but they're not going to act as they do. They're just yeah, and they also other. can't stand other male You're right. deer or yeah. bucks, yeah. right? Because the testosterone, especially the younger eats. deer, they don't. They're different, and they they don't want to be bothered with them. Well, there, I, I, um, I read an interesting study. I don't know if this is public or not, but um, so Dr. Carl Miller, he worked for the University of Georgia. He's from this area uh, originally, and I met him and talked to him, and he, he worked with one of his students who is, is from the area, and his, uh, his name his name's Andy Olson, and um, he's, he's local to here and everything. Well, he did a study for... Kip Folks, who has become a, a good friend of mine, he, uh, he was one of the original founders of Under Armour, and he has um, he has property um, in in the area as well. He's got I don't know, it's eight thousand acres or something, and it's all like really steep, way steeper than we have here, rugged, all big timber property. And he wanted to learn how the deer moved through these areas, so they collared um, just the mature bucks and did some some information and showed how they moved and, and and they might've called the other ones too, but just seeing the differences in how these deer moved like on these maps, like during the different times of the rut and the year and how they did that was, was pretty incredible. And I, I don't know. I love, I love data and being able to see that kind of stuff. And I like, I like the data and the maps, but I also like the not knowing too, which intrigues me. Like these big mountain bucks that I always refer to a puzzle you're trying to build. You don't have the picture of the puzzle, but you got about, if it's a 500 piece puzzle and you don't have the picture, you know, the picture on the front of the box. It's like, yeah, got someone, thir- someone took the top of the box, <laughs> took the top of the box. And you're like, I spent hours and hours on hiking and I got 30 pieces. And I'm like, I still don't even know the picture. So it's like the, in- it's What's intriguing to me is you're like, what is the big picture? Right. Even though you're like, I know a lot, or Bo, or you just from being in that area, 
You don't know and shit. The, and that, and right. You know what I mean? Right. No, you're right now, about so that. Now, so you have 30 pieces, and there's a 500-piece puzzle, and now you add the outfitter in, and you have 80 more pieces. That you got you that add. many more pieces to work work with. It's more like seven or eight, but yeah. No, I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so the other analogy I was talking about the other night, I was th- like that shed I showed you, Bill. I got a shed here at the camps, 180-inch shed. Massive deer. Massive Ohio public land. So I seen this deer cross the road, and right before daylight and i went in there and hunted uh and there was no sign of this animal even living in this piece of public land like there are no rubs no scr- the scr- rubs were like maybe as big as my finger no scrapes no not ran cameras it was like he was literally a ghost if it was one rainy morning in november i was coming down the road and public on our left private on our right and i looked over right at daylight rain and he he was coming out of the public and i thought it was a mule deer but it was in ohio holy shit so Anyways, so I went in there, put cameras, hunted like, but it was, uh, and it was kind of a hard hunted area, but it was like, um, no, you wouldn't have thought a buck of that stature lived in there, you know, um, but what I, like after hunting that deer and other deer that I had experience with was like, he moves through there, point A to point B, whether it's food or or breeding, or what it may be, but um, it's like going through, maybe Bill can relate this to this, is like being on a battlefield, to where he's like, this is danger zone, so when he's going through there, I figured, why isn't there rubs, why isn't there scrapes, he's more worried about surviving while he's moving through this area, he has to, maybe for breeding, maybe you got to get to the next food source or that, but it was pretty wild, and deer, and mature deer do exist in that hard-hunted public area, and don't leave sign because when they're going through there, they're worried about getting shot at. And like I, I my analogies was, Hey, if you're on a battlefield and the last thing you're th- worried about is having sex, you know, right, right, you're right. worried about survival. So like this animal's moving through there and he's surviving. He's not worried about, so he's not rubbing. He's not, he's not, you know, he's not dealing with all that stuff, but that's a part of his home range and he's moving through there. But when he moves through there, that's how he acts. He's on the battlefield. It's like, he's just freaked out, but he has to get from point A to B, point B. So well, that, you, 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 know, you for, missed a crucial part of that story about the, the guys that you ran into. The guys that seen him. The guys that seen him. Yeah, that was the fault. So I seen it cross the road and I went there and hunted, hunted. So then I come, <laughs> this that was fun. bow season. So, um, uh, I hunted their bow season, then shotgun season came, and I come up the road. I was going to take a walk in there, heavy hunted public land. I was going to take a walk in there and, and uh, with my shotgun, and I seen a Ford Ranger pulled off, kind of like haphazardly pulled off the road. I'm like, oh, man, I was going to park. This is where I seen the deer crawl. Da, da, da. So uh, the dude come up out of the woods, you know, a little overweight, you know what I mean? Like he's just seen a ghost sweating. <laughs> and I said, hey, buddy. And he had just a, he had a shotgun, um, no sight or nothing on it, like a squirrel gun, maybe 870, just a slug in it, pumpkin ball. And his eyes, his eyes were like as big as golf balls. Hey, buddy, you get that buck. Just, just making conversation. Biggest buck I've seen in my life. His rack was this big. I'm like, it ran down in a wood and I jumped out and went after him. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so what sucked about the story is, uh, there was someone else that knew about that deer. Living yeah. in that seam, that piece of public land. So that was shotgun season. I never got a picture of him. And then I went, so I went back in January, had an inch of snow down there. I said, I'm going to find this track. I'm going to find out where this deer was. It's, I don't know, 5,000 acres. 
I found a rub about a mile away, and it was probably biggest rub I found. And this deer had a big, tall rack. It was pretty wild. Like, it was in the middle of this public land. So this rub was up to my chest, maybe higher, six, eight-inch diameter, 10-inch diameter tree. It was huge. And when I found it, I said, this was the buck that made this rub. It was a mile in, I mean, like the core public land. He made the signpost rub. And in my head, it was like, he came in here one night and made this rub and put his scent here just to tell everybody else, all them, hey, he's like, I'm the man here. You know what I mean? And he's probably living out on the fringes, maybe on on a private ground, but he specifically went in and put that rub down. So I went back with an inch of snow on the ground, and, and I was literally waiting for January to get some snow. I had an inch of snow, and I found that rub in, you know, middle of November, and I put cameras out near that rub, this and that, all around the area. So I went back. And I do that when I get some snow, I'll just hike and hike and hike and find tracks because I know uh, what a mature deer track looks like. And I hiked all through that area uh, where that big rub was because I figured the pressure would be low. And he might, there was white oaks were abundant that year. Acorns were everywhere. I said, you know, pressure gets low in January. He might be in her feet on him acorns. I went in there and I did circles looking for his, because I know his rub was in there, but I went in January, did circles. And I got on the only track I got on was any size to it was about a two year old. And I felt pretty good about it because it walked in front of my camera. And I said, That was a two year old. It was yesterday. And I pulled my card. It was a two year old. I was like, Man, I pat myself on the back. Like, Yo, you're doing good, boy. The <laughs> only place I didn't go was where he crossed the road because I figured the pressure was low. He's going to be out in the middle where these white oaks and the rest of the deer population was. I didn't go where the, where I seen him cross. I don't know why. I just felt like the pressure was low. Maybe he's going to be, there was abundance of uh, white oak acorns just everywhere. And so I just, uh, I don't know. I just didn't go in. I thought he was going to maybe be near that rub and that. And the following November, I went in and uh, poked around where I seen him cross the road. And there was this shed, 185 inch drop tine. So I hunted that November, cameras, just like a ghost. I don't know if someone, I don't know if them guys were in or I I just, but it was uh, broken up with public and private, which sucked is I couldn't follow the deer throughout his uh, livelihood and find him. But that was the biggest shit I ever found. But it's just a ghost, you know, and how he lived. And sometimes when they live on that uh, pressured public land, it's like almost a no-brainer. Like he went in like. He specifically went there and made that rub probably in the middle of the night saying, I'm still the man here. And where I found him crossing a road, it was like some public and there was a fence line. It was like a like he felt safe here. And, but still, he had to get through and he just, he wasn't like all that dumb stuff. He was like way above and beyond all. It's yeah. just, they're amazing, you know? Yeah. It, 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 you, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there describing how, I believe it was Louisiana. And again, I don't have all of these experiences like John has had, but what I have done is piled through a ton of data. And I believe it was a Louisiana study that we had gotten from like a deer, like these guys had gotten together and I don't, I think they had like tons of, I, I would re, maybe 20,000 acres of land or something like that, that they'd gotten, a bunch of guys had gotten in together and they did collar deer. They allowed a collar deer study on this land and I got the data from them. It was just like a YouTube video I found. And I contacted the guy who published the YouTube video and I was like, hey, dude, I saw that you did some like, you know, collar deer data stuff. And I guess that what they were trying to do is just kind of find out how the deer use the land or something. I'm not sure. And I asked them for it and they had some pretty good notes on there. But one of the deer that they had on there, this was Louisiana too, right? It was like a seven and a half, I think it was a six and a half or seven and a half year old deer. I'll have to go back and look at it. But this deer didn't participate in the first rut Mm -hmm. at all. Like his movement patterns really didn't stop. 
too much. Wasn't, yeah, he wasn't really going down, and like you'll just what happens is, and I'm tr- I'll try to say this in a way that doesn't sound nerdy and 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 annoying. Um, <laughs> that we 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 build these like three dimensional representations of movement pattern. Um, and, and we call it a kernel, but. It, but basically what it does is it kind of draws like a 3D representation of what the deer's pattern looks like over a given period of time. And we can assign these to the deer and then we use it to train the algorithm. He didn't change any of the way that he really did business during the first rut. I think one time he went down and maybe like, you know, slummed it with the other bucks and the other deer who were busy chasing all of these animals. But then the second rut, he was all over it. Like just going nuts just moving all the time during the daylight hours, all of this stuff. I'm not saying this is a general rule at all. In fact, this is a exception, an outlier. This is not generally how this works. But it was just interesting to see this like wise old deer that just knew the first rut was probably a problem because probably all of the dudes who hunt that area, right, probably just cover those woods i think it's more of a during the first rut i think it happens more than you think just from my experience hunting out in the midwest where i i think i i talked to someone recently about the deer i it was 170 inch deer i found and i found his rubs and i you know first week of november i said i'm just gonna sit here to rub his rub line you know kind of i knew he visited that area there was does well here come a doe in heat with five bucks behind her he wasn't there right and i'm like this ain't right it was like November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and I kept poking around, scouting. I said, i got to find this deer. He's here somewhere. And I found where he was bedded, and it, he was like uh, still damn near nocturnal till about November 10th, 12th. He didn't want to deal with all the, ag- the chaos was what it was like, uh, all that running around and stuff. You know, all that testosterone, he's just like, I don't want nothing to dumb old. And, yeah. You know. It's interesting to think what goes through these, you know, because the yeah. other thing, too, is with a lot of mature deer is they seem to be affected by weather in the same way. In other words, they'll move more by certain weather events in certain areas, but they'll stay in their core area. So what you'll see in the data is, whereas a front is, say a front's coming in, right? it'll get those two and a half or three and a half year old deer on their feet and they're moving early in the day. They're, they're, they're risking their neck to get to feeding areas or, or they're just moving more to keep their body, right, to thermoregulate, to keep their body heat up. The, the bigger, older bucks will do that as well, but they'll remain in their core area. So you'll have- Less movement. They're moving, it, it would appear as if the buck, as you said, is nocturnal, which is a good description, right? The term works. You understand what that means. He's moving a lot, but he's like- confining himself areas. to his core area yeah. while he's doing it. So whereas in a normal afternoon, right, he might change beds three times or something. In a normal afternoon, he might get up, you know, piss and shit and feed, do a little rub in his little bedroom area, move and then bed back down. And he might do that three times. Well, when like a weather front's coming in, he'll do it seven or eight times. So it's as if he's got a biological... Uh, it's, it's as if, and I'm not a biologist, so I'm simply <laughs> looking at the data, right? That's all I'm doing. I'm drawing conclusions from the data. And for me, getting data is like getting an SD card. Like you guys know, when you go and pull a camera, when I get new data, it's the same thing. Like I cannot wait to get into this data mm, that's cool. and pull it apart and look at it and learn from it. it that's how I treat these. Like, so when guys are like, oh, I got a new SD card. I can't wait, you know? And it's the same thing for me. When someone's like, yes, we'll send you data. It's like Christmas morning when I get that data and I get to go through all of it and plot it. Um, but it, it, it's kind of the same thing is those deer will move more. In, in other words, the biology, they're still being effective 
are affected by the biology, like their their instinctual systems that are telling them you should be moving more. But more in a safe area. But they're area. doing it and remaining in their like core area during yeah. the day. And it's almost like they know they have, it's almost, it's uh, this is crazy. But I always think like they they know they have a nervous tick and they're just trying to like, yeah, deal with it in a way that's not going to get them killed. You know what I'm saying? So it's like the two and a half or three and a half year old deer is like, time to go feed, do, 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 and he's just walking out in the middle of nowhere. Whereas that buck's like, he's got the urge, he wants to go and do it, but he's just gonna do it in his little area. Well, and and that makes it makes sense from some of the some of my firsthand experience that I've had in the last few years. Like this past year, I was talking to you guys beforehand. I was hunting. Uh, specific deer which i just showed you the shed that i think it was his couple years ago and so this deer um and this is from some firsthand knowledge and some trail camera data that i'm giving you here but i had an encounter with him on october 30th or 31st i don't remember i think it was the 30th at 15 yards he's full on chasing this doe with a couple other bucks but what he was where he was at was what I thought was his core area, like right on the edge. I was on the ground walking up, moving, trying to move in closer because I was hunting a scrape and I didn't see a deer in two days. And I was like, I wanted to move a little bit closer and see what I could find. And anyways, he was on that edge. And the other thing he wouldn't do where these other bucks would do, these other bucks would run out in the open and do this. He always stuck to that thick cover where again i thought was more of his like home spot even when he was chasing the doe he would like corral her into this cover and then i never saw him again never had any data besides a nighttime trail camera photos until november the i think november the 7th november the 7th then he started moving from november the 7th through november the 10th he hit four of my cameras in daylight wow. and was moving around and it still wasn't a giant area i have cameras clustered up i mean some of them are only 60 yards apart you're I mean, right I in was, the bedroom yeah. yeah and he was but he was moving around yep. there more and and kind of seeking checking these doe bedding areas but i learned from that deer specifically that that's kind of the way he moved where these other bucks there's this one buck that he hit every single spot, like all through the rut, like yeah. all the time in daylight, yep. young, you know, two and a half year old, didn't really know what was going on type of deal. Yep. And you just keep learning a little bit more. And it's interesting to see how you're learning that from some of the yeah. the, the data that you're getting. And it's not, not as much of an outlier as, you know, right. is, is you, you normally thought. And, and so the, the one thing I wanted to ask you on that, I didn't want to forget about it is, so when you say a core area, what, is there a certain like, um, <clears throat> like space or like amount of area that you would consider a core area? Or does that all depend on cover? What, what does that kind of look like? So how I define core area right now, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's a good question. Yeah. yeah. How I define, how we're defining core area right now is where they're set, spending daylight hours from 10 to two during non seeking and chasing time periods. So even if it's at two 30, I'm not counting that in core area because I really want to nail it down to this is when he is seeking cover, right? Which I know has to be because there's varying amounts of pressure that we get in these data. Like some of these places deer are getting hunted. Some of them, they're not being hunted. Some of them it's public. Some of them it's private. So, but what I do know is, uh, there's there's two things that pertain with bedding areas that the data seems to bear out. The first one is is that they almost always seem to be like an elliptical shape, like a like an egg or something like that. And I don't know what that is or what that means, but it almost like 
every time I look at like a ton of the points, they always seem to be like an egg. And it seems to be like that egg is always oriented towards whatever the majority of the wind is. Wow. Um, so, and I'm not saying that's always, that's yeah. not what I'm saying. So people don't take that for, you know, and again, I could be wrong. It could be, here's the other thing I should quantify or I should caveat all of this with. I could get the same amount of data over the next year and all this stuff could get thrown out the door. You know what I'm saying? I could just be, this is what I'm getting with this first few rounds of data, but the data is comprehensive. There's a ton of data here. They seem to be elliptical shape. They seem to be oriented with the wind. Um, they always seem to be in areas where it looks like they've got a fair amount of vegetative cover or I impassable uh, topographical top topography features to their back and then clear view in the front. It's like that seems to be a common, um, how can I say it? A common Phenomenon. pattern, phenomena, right? Yeah. That goes with that. There's number two. Um, so we see, I see all of those things, but then there are other deer that don't, again, there are deer that don't follow that. You know what yeah, I'm it's saying? Yeah, like, but I mean, you can only do so much with, because people are in, they're all individuals. Yes, I look at it like yes. humans. You can't, there are distinct patterns, but for the most part, you're not going to nail down every human and yeah. how it lives. And that's the problem with my, our big buck model. So I'll say this right now. And yeah. here's the problem with the big buck model. I'll tell you guys right now. And it's going to be comical when you guys, when I, when I bring out the big buck model, everyone's going to be like, this is awesome. Greatest stuff ever. Can't wait to see this. Y'all might want to stick with the general buck model because the big buck model is core movement for 93% of the year. And then there'll be a blip in the ending of October or the beginning of November where there'll be like some high movement. And then that'll go away for the rest of the month of November. And then in the beginning of December, there'll be one more blip of movement and then it's done. Yeah. Like this big book model will not be marketable. <laughs> no one's going to yeah. like it. But it's going to tell the truth of what yeah. really is happening. Right. I know half the time when I'm in my tree hunting a big mature deer, I'm like, He's laying down somewhere. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But, <laughs> and he, and knows, you're, you're and he knows what I smell like. Yeah. And you're at 93%. And I'm like, that's about right from my experience. Right. And then 90% of the time that I'm in a tree waiting for him, he's laying down. Like, I feel like I but need to get What the, can you do? I, I feel I've, I've, been hope. I've been talking to the, my co-owners with this about like, we need to get the pro staff to educate people on this big buck model because it's going to be core, 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 core all the way through the year. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be like a couple days of movement and then core and then a couple days of movement and that's it. Yeah. So like so like out of a year, if you were to look at a, bit, a, a large buck's patterns, it's like you're going to get three shots max. And if that's that's if you're in the exact right place at the exact right time, all three times. Yeah. Like so, he slips up. So basically I throw that out the window because what's the chances of that? And you just got to hunt his core area and you got to get in. And as I, t I just recently <coughs> talked on a podcast about, you got to take chances to get in there. You yeah. know, then sometimes when you get up in your tree, you're like, man, I didn't spook anything, you know, but then you got to have a lot of options because that core, you know, you got to have different bucks on hand because you could ruse it. Cause they, they don't, they have the odds in their favor and you got to yeah. get that angle. And, then, but, and that's where that could teach you as far as too, is like, okay, um, say the the big buck the big buck model is showing that all right he's in his core area ninety three percent of the time or whatever it is yeah then yeah that's black and you white gotta, you got to get in gotta there. hit Close. the core yeah. area right you got to you got to start taking chances and and yeah obviously it's exactly different right. for everybody's situation but if you're hunting public you're hunting highly uh, you know pressured private lands big tracts of land no matter what it is and you can kind of get in on those areas that are like that that just helps you modify your game plan a little it bit. helps like uh 
assure you that this is where I need to be hunting with your yeah. trail camera data and wherever you find, I think the big buck model will tell you. It's just assuring you that what you might already know, but it's like, yeah, I got to get in that core area right. and, exactly. and find it. Yeah, because like, we, we talk about it all the time. Uh, Johnny and I do, and I think I talked to you about it too, Bill, but like, there'll be, like when I'm hunting specific deer, I'm hunting a certain age class of deer, I'll go so many days without seeing a, a damn thing. deer. Yeah. A thing. Not a, and I can only see 18 yards sometimes in these spots. Like it's that thick or it's that, and you feel, and, and that's, you know, you got to have that confidence a that little faith. bit. Yeah. You got to have that faith and that confidence. And, and I think like. The, the way how I like I'd, that I'd be using like your model as far as with the big buck model is that's giving me that additional confidence booster mm-hmm. in yeah. this. And that's all it all is. It's a, an odds multiplier. Like it's something that's really helping you. It's nothing is going to be foolproof. Nothing's going to be like, go here and kill this deer. Right, like, no, you, and you're yes. not, you're not even close to. I'm saying, saying 60% this, of the time with a general deer. Yeah. But with when the I big was buck model, it's not, it's not going to be like that. Cause when I was younger, I would see the rubs and the scrapes. And I hunted that, and that was the fringes of maybe his core area. And I don't know, you know, I started bow hunting when I was 14. So, you know, you're looking at almost 30 years, and then (laughs) I wasted, you know, maybe maybe 20. That's what I talk. I probably wasted 20 years. So um, experience to me is that um, you've done it wrong enough times to you that you know what to do right I've well that's sat really the on only way fringes. to learn yeah i sat in them fringes on him big rubs thinking like he's just gonna go doody do i'm gonna walk up to this rub and rub his tree no it don't happen that way right so, right like it i've i've hunted that in in like well, th- that model would, would like help you, you like amazing. you said a little bit ago where you where where you found that big shed of that ohio buck and you saw him and you found that bigger rub in the in the area I'd say probably 95%, maybe this is not giving people enough credit, but a lot of hunters would have been like, this hunting. is the spot. I'm going to hunt You're right. rub right, right here. Right, exactly. You right. Know? And that's what I, I'm saying that I did in the past. I found that rub. I'm like, yep. and I spent hours of wasted years of my life. I've been that guy. And then, and then, yeah. then we I, all have. Yeah. I've done it wrong. Okay, this is ain't working. So now sometimes when I see rubs, I'm like, ooh, like taboo. I'm not hunting that. Yeah. <laughs> Because I sat there many times and I didn't see shit. That's the middle of the night. A sucker's coming here rubbing that tree. Okay, so I got a break so. from the podcast norm here and say, Bo, if you've had this guy on six times this year, you need to do like a Johnny Stewart pearls of wisdom oh, yeah. where you clip up these things because his analogies and the way that he's describing it, this is hilarious. I know. It's this perfect. is gold. It and is. it's it's funny because this is like I can relate to people how what I've learned because it's been years that I've since I've – I've never listened to a podcast, or I never even. I quit reading hunting magazines, sure, because yeah. it was stuff geared toward, and that's what took me to the hunting the rubs and a scrape line, and a lot of times the places I hunt didn't exist, and it was like so. I did all these things I was supposed to do for twenty years, and it's like, and then then something a light went bulb went off. I'm like, hey, John, well, there is something. Uh, there is something I like to talk to you about because obviously you've put more big deer on the ground than I have. I will say that the data bears out scrape lines or, or scrapes specifically can be a productive place to hunt deers, deer. Excuse me. So, I mean, is that something that you've abandoned? Like up you don't in, hit scrapes? No, up in this area, like we're learning that from our data, from cameras and at the end of October is right there. We're thinking. Yes. And, and, and I, I think to add to that is the placement of those scrapes is 
you you know, I can find I can go in some of these areas and where there's a really good buck to doe ratio, you could find a hundred. And that's the thing, the right thing, the buck to doe ratio. They got a they're putting that scent out there. If you got I grew up in an area that was just overpopulated with does. That's out the window, but they got to really communicate because they got to with these scrapes because they're they're far and, and I between. I truly think like in these areas of the mountains, those scrapes can be absolute fire, but they got to be the right scrape. And it's got to be the right scrape. Right? It's got and yeah. like and yeah. depending on like most of the time, the I I all I almost have a scrape in the area. I'd say a t- like. I don't know, even up to 90% of the time I'm hunting, I have a scrape within shooting range, but that deter- it depends on the time of year and what the area looks like and what that scrape is. Most of the time, that scrape is in thick cover or close to yeah. thick, you know, like, because I've just learned so much from, and I don't have as much experience as Johnny or my dad, and I'm never going to pretend that, but, like, w- what I've seen is that these r- next-level deer or say I'd be hunting the edge of something, and this is why I, I mentioned it on Mark's podcast, but I'll never set up where I can't shoot into that thick cover because they might run that edge, but they like to be just inside it. They don't yeah. like to they don't yeah. like to to come outside and that's Security. where Yeah, and then a lot of, that's why I look for those scrapes that are just on the inside or Well Bo's deer uh I had them on a scrape on the point and there was like a big scrape and a small one, like three or four scrapes. I had a cell camera on that scrape and that was right in his wheelhouse and i had pictures of him and it was all dark uh nocturnal uh october end of october and greg litziger went in there and he hit a deer and we we tracked it couldn't find it that was early november and I, that camera s- soaked on that scrape from early november when he hit that deer to when Bo shot his deer that's that's uh that was about a month that um i never picked that deer up on that scrape yeah the reason he was living right there and we we probably when your dad bumped him was probably i i I guarantee it was within 100 yards of that scrape and i mean it was like a predominant scrape and i was getting deer on it and he just like it just 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 and that and that doesn't make sense like in my my head even with i would have thought he would have hit that at least at night yeah like right it just it didn't make sense but well the reason i asked that question is because one of the things that i see in the data is like i'll try to look at where there are pockets of um where there's high concentrations of deer at certain times and almost uh, so i believe it was louis again i think it was that same louisiana data but the majority of their the bucks would hit like two spots so I'd called the guy who managed the farm where they had set this stuff up. I was like, hey, like, what's going, is this like a feeding station that I didn't know about? Or like, what, what are you reporting here? And he's like, oh, that's the, that is perennially, like every year, the primary scrape on this property. And it was a spot where I'd seen all the bucks coming from all the different areas. We're always hitting this spot here. So I was like, what I thought it was like, after looking at the data, I was like, oh, this must be like a feeding like a feeding station or this must be like a shop plot or something small in here that they're using. He was like, Oh no, that's funny. That's like every year we have, I forget what he said, what type of tree it was, but there'd be like a massive scrape, like a car hood size scrape on the ground. So, and it would always be like right before their peak rut, which I think down there was something ridiculous. I want to say it was. So maybe were like, they hitting it during the rut though, or just, it was, I mean like prior, probably it was, prior. It was prior. When yeah. Greg Litzinger was up here and we checked a couple cameras in a spot, um, there were scrapes galore, and we actually checked them like right at like November first. And there was like bucks. Man, we got to get in there and hunt, and they yeah. just uh, we got in and hunted, and for like four weeks, deer just dissip- dissipated because they didn't. And it was 
it was crazy all the scrapes, but they were just out. I guess chase, they never even pissed with well, them. Yeah, and then there's like, all right, so I had this scrape. Um, I just pulled the camera on Wednesday, actually. Oh yeah, and uh, it I I set it up in January, so. And I, I put it on the scrape, but it was on the edge of where I thought this core area, this buck that I was hunting go. was, like, real close. And I set up this camera, and I left it for a month. Uh, yeah, well, I guess two months, because it was January 9th when I set it up. And I pulled it, and I'm 90, I've been saying 90% a lot, but I've been, I'm really sure that <laughs> this is this deer, and he shed his antlers, but he was working the scrape. And the reason I could tell is he's got all these cuts in his ears. And he's m- working that licking branch. He's got no antlers on. Yeah, that's awesome. And, that's uh, wild. I'll have to show you guys the video after this. But it it was just like, I don't know. It was it was crazy to see that. But and and again, like there, I, I feel like there's those different types of scrapes. And you have the rut scrapes. Like there's certain ones in creek bottoms that they won't touch those most of the year. But there's a certain time in the getting in November. Up down. Yep. That's when, when yeah. it seems like my dad kills them right. every year. He hunts those spots. I don't know when they're hit. And always, he always kills his bucks between October 31st and November the 4th. Like in that period is when that spot is hot. And then there's those other ones that are more commu- community type, you know, that they're they're uh, using it to communicate with the other deer. And then there's the ones that are the testosterone based where they're just going around just yeah. Because they're all worked up. It's just like, you know, back in the day when Johnny was heading out, you know, heading out to the bar, heading out to the bars and he's, you know, yeah. running around right. from, you know, woman to woman. Trying <laughs> yeah. To <get> a <laughs> and he's trying to, you know, he's doing that and he's, he's, he's hitting a guy here. He's hitting a guy there. You right, know, he's right. taking out that testosterone. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah. But you know, here's another analogy I thought of earlier. Oh, I didn't I mention. Wait. So when you were talking about how like that one deer didn't utilize the first rut but he utilized the second one right so this is like so any smart guy when you go to a bar and you're single and you're trying to pick up a woman i can't wait so it you know nine ten o'clock at night that's not the right time to try to to hit on this woman because that's when all the guys are flocking to the pretty girl you know they're all trying to talk to it yeah yeah a but a two bit. at ten is a ten at two. That's not what I was saying. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm trying not to laughing to the microphone. Uh, go ahead. So then you get later on, and those guys start to give up. They lose their confidence. They're done. So that's like the younger bucks. You know, they're running yep, around. Yep. They're like, this still wants nothing to do with me. Exactly. Yeah. It, but get later. And this is taking alcohol out of the equation. This is just specifically on time. And then it's you're you're more apt to be able to. Well, she knows what she wants. She's just she, waiting for. She's waiting. She likes it's my, my Michael. You know Michael, yeah. my buddy. Yeah. He he. On, one time I was. This was a personal experience. But I was. Uh, I thought this this girl was uh, pretty good looking. And I was like, man, but all those guys are talking to her. He's like. Don't be the Jake. Be the old Tom. <laughs> He's like, nice. you know, wait him out. Wait yeah, him out. Right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Am I the only one right now praying my girlfriend's not listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah. or, uh, my, or, my girlfriend doesn't trade listen to Trade secrets him. here. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend doesn't listen <laughs> to, to My old lady, she walks by <laughs> when I'm talking, doing a podcast. She just shakes her head. You're, you're yeah. something else. Mine's getting there already. You know, like she's got to wear boots when she gets near me during a podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's getting deep. You're getting right. Deep. <laughs> she laughs and like, say, "You're just too much." I'm like, well, yeah, "That's truth." Yeah. What were you even talking about? Like, <laughs> I don't even understand. I explain it to her, and she just like laughs the whole time. Yeah. 
I mean, the analysis are great. You got to cut these up, man. Yeah. You got to like once a month just drop like a Johnny Perl of wisdom. Johnnyisms. That's a John- Johnny. Yeah, right. Oh man. I think I'm gonna have Johnny. Oh, that's be- that would be so good. And then just like put put the audio over a version of his face, just like, yes. you know? <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> like the face when he finds when he finds uh, where his core area of his box lives. Yeah, yeah. You know, when Johnny gets that sense, you you could be oh, walking yeah. through the woods. It could be an open area, no sign ever, and he's just like his his eyes. He did just it go. earlier. Yeah, he's just like that that, that big box been here. He's yep, yep. he's been here. Well, he's- first we should talk about this, right? Because yeah. my first experience. Um, oh yeah, shed hunting, this is a good one. <laughs> shed hunting with John earlier today. My son and I, who you know, we spent. He's here today next to me. We spent a fair amount of time in the woods, and. Um, we, we get into the woods, and the first place, John's like, yeah, I think there are a lot of deer, going to be a lot of deer here, so we'll probably find some. And the bucks like to work this side, and I was like, all right, this will be fun. Let's get in there. We get in there, and it's like every three feet, there's a pile of shit. And like the first, I would say, 10 by 10, like quad, like my son and I stopped counting at like 65 or 70 piles of shit. And the first, like, I don't know, 100 feet that we walked, and I'm thinking to myself, like, is John just trying to let me know how good of a pro staffer he is? Like, did he just chain a bunch of deer down and just force feeding them corn? Because it was, it was like offensive how often we were st- like, son, you just stepped into shit. You just stepped yeah. into shit. Stop, step. Don't step there. Watch where you look. And they were like, like, they were like, like two little kids in a candy store. Wow, look at that pile of shit. There's another one right yeah. there. Like, well, it wasn't, hey, I would say a candy store would be the accurate yeah, description. It, it was funny. But it was just like, there are... Like, are we on a deer farm right now? Like, what is? I said, hey, I, I said this. Uh, I said I'm not. I spent enough time here. I know where they're at in the winter, where they yard yeah, up. So that's what insane. it was, you know. But you can, like Bo even said, you can go to areas you just you might not see it. Any deer sign, yeah, but, but they get congregated up in areas. Especially year with the winter after, that we had. Yeah, with the, it was like Bo mentioned earlier. A lot of deer died. Well, we're not done with John Stewart yet. I, I'm not, yeah. the story's not finished, right? So. We get a little bit farther, and like one 10 by 10 area where we were about to split up, my son and I sat there and counted, and I think we stopped like 10 by 10, 10 feet by 10 feet. I think we stopped counting like 16 piles of shit. So I'm, I'm like, hiking, looking area? for deer horns, they're counting piles of deer shit. Yeah, right. No, it's just, it's just <laughs> where are all that? Like, oh, they're, they're he, I deer swear shit. to God, folks, he had the people, chain, the deer chained down in that area. So I said, hey, there, there's horns here. I said, we only got an hour, then we got to meet Bo, but there's horns in... I, they're here. Would you want to know why the deer were there? Because he has, he's hooked up his backpack with a feeder on the back of it. <laughs> yeah, right. And exactly. he, just, he just runs it, runs through it. the woods. Are you planting chicory? Up. Nope, feeding deer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then the other Johnny, right, ism on the way out is he's about, I don't know, 50 yards in front of my son and I as we're leaving. And uh, he's yelling back at us. And I'm deaf in my left ear. I've been in the military for 20 years, so I don't hear really well out of my left ear. And he's yelling at us. <laughs> And we're getting close to the road. And Johnny goes, I smell deer. I smell deer. And I'm like, that's a weird thing to say. Like, I smell deer. So my son and I, we get to the car. We get back. And then we we meet Bo. And Bo goes, hey, were you guys over, like, in this area? And we're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I drove by you. As soon as I passed Johnny, a bunch of deer just ran in front of me. So I look at my son and I say, that son of a bitch was smelling deer in the woods. Like, who is this guy? Like, who was I just? But it was funny. I said, there's horns in here. And we come out. Well, we found one. You know, you know he's going to go back in there and find a whole bunch. 27 sheds. We come out a little early. We were... uh, Getting, it was getting. Oh, like, we found we, some decent. You found a decent shed in there, though. That was a yeah, we found that forty inch. It, you know, both sides were like that. That's a big buck. In rifle season, Bo and his dad, Mountain Man Joe, pushed it to me. 
And I bet Joe, honestly, I think when Joe went through there pushing, he's seen that horn. You know, it's my spot, so he's, you know, being, being a good respectful. friend, respectful. Yeah. Right, he's right. like, I'll just leave this for John. Right. He'd come back because I know he's going to shed hunt this. You know what I mean? Yeah, I said that earlier. Little I, Easter egg, huh? I Here believe go. you when you say that because I had heard earlier, and if people haven't, if, if Bo's listeners haven't done it, they need to go back and listen to the podcast with Bo's dad because I will, I will say this, and it's not even Bo. It's, it seems to be every, like, you know, 55, 60-year-old serious deer hunter I encounter, it seems they're never wrong about my observations from the data. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. It seems like, you know, people intrinsically learn You're looking at things. 40 years of... Right, you right, know, right. You know, and that's a experience. very, that's interesting, right? Because, you know, a neural network is called a neural network because it learns the same way that a brain does, right? It's just, it's just waiting outcomes and observing patterns, right? Which is what we do. We, you know, recognize colors and patterns of colors and patterns of behavior and patterns of wildlife and, spe- and anything else. And when you listen to that podcast, that's a good one to listen to. And I said it to Bo even before we were talking, I thought it was a stellar podcast, you just need to get that man on the, or what I was thinking earlier was we need to get some like, um, hidden mic systems yeah. and then just get him in here get and not Joe. know that he's, yeah. so he doesn't know that he's on well, mic. He still might not even he say won't it. Even say <laughs> <anything>. <laughs> he still yeah. might not. You're going to say much. Yeah. He's not, like he's not teeth. Yeah. He's not going to say much. And, and, uh, I, and I'll tell you what, like if you, if you really wanted to have someone that looked at your data and really be able to have real world experience but he'd be the guy let's he takes him on the pro staff Bill. yeah he let's ta- do it he takes he he'll he takes data to a whole nother level when it comes to it i could walk in i could probably go back to my parents house right now walk into the basement and i could tell you where my dad's sitting he's sitting at his bar in the basement with his computer there and he's going through trail camera data and he's looking right at now it. right now currently <laughs> i'm 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 almost certain that's exactly what he's doing. And he's going through it and he's figuring it out and he's got a shed in his hand. He's looking at it. He's like, that's that buck. And he's trying to figure out, or it's this far away from where I, where I was picking him up. Oh yeah. He's <laughs> that's he, awesome. Yeah. That's good to learn from them. People that been, I ain't going to, you know, if you say old timer, he's going to no. the people that <laughs> been around do it. Yeah. Like, you know, and I always say like, I'll take people that are new hunting like I took my girlfriend hunt. I said, "Maybe we'll go down by that creek." What do you think? Uh, he's like, oh, "You're the big deer hunter. Where should we go?" I'm like, "I don't know. Maybe they're thirsty. You know, maybe you these are listen to my podcast. You know? <laughs> maybe they're yeah. thirsty." Yeah. So like my one, my one buddy said, my one buddy said I was following you. I was like, like I was real in depth. I'm like Ross. They come down through here, and this is going. This is where we need to be. If we're going to drive, us, they're going to cross here. And I gave him all this information. Then, then at the end, I said maybe. He's like, John, I followed you all the way till you said maybe. I'm like, well, maybe. I, I, I guess that that's my opinion. What do you think? He's like, I was following you till you said maybe. You know everything. I said, no, I don't know everything. It's like you can learn something from, you know, as long as you're willing to learn and, and don't think you knew I know everything, you're, you're always got room to learn. See, there's John again. He got me rolling, and then he hits us with another pearl of wisdom. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah, it's, it's yeah. so true. And like though. the the mature deer are all individuals, and you'll you could see how they one deer might live here, and then another one that one might die, another one moves. You can learn something from a brand new. That's what hunter I mean. Yeah, and, and I take hunters out. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I got so much time in the woods hunting and scouting, but I want to know what you're thinking, and then we'll put our minds together because 
I don't. If I knew every, I pull like I said earlier uh, or uh, the other day. I said I had my bow back once this year on a deer, and that was in January. I didn't even take a shot at a deer this year. So everybody's listening to me, man. Well, he knows his shit. Well, I didn't even shoot my bow this year at a deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what do I, you know what I mean? But it's yeah. like you can learn from. Maybe if I would have listened to someone said, "Yeah, maybe let's go try this spot." Well, what's your reasoning? Maybe you have an idea of why we should be there. Okay. Because a lot is speculation, then you only have them 20 or 30 pieces to the 500-piece puzzle. So maybe you got a hunch of where, you know, what the picture is. So, okay, let's go try it out. You know? Yeah, I got a I got a little glimpse of the box before it was burned, yeah. you know, from the, the top of the puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it, it's so true. Like, when I learned that really when I scouted with you and Greg that time. And we all have a little bit different ways of looking at yeah. the land. Do you remember like You're we, right. we went out on this this piece and there was this point that was going out and there's some clear cuts and there was stuff and we went out and we all headed different directions. Greg was going to check out this yep, deep yep, cut. Yep. And you were going to look for cover on this part of the hill. I was checking out the clear cuts and we were just like we all had a little bit of a different outlook on how how we took the same piece of property in how we were planning on scouting it. And that's interesting. That's why I like hunting with other people and being involved with other people to see how they, you know, uh, how do I want to say it? How they perceive what what's yeah, going what works on. for them. Yeah, yeah what's what worked for them. Because I don't, yeah, this is what I do and this is what I've learned, but I'm not saying I know everything or I'd be tagged out every day, every year, October 1st, you don't know. I, I got to say this. So I heard it as I was, as, as uh, Bo was talking about Greg there. Do you remember at the beginning? So, so folks, we have product coming out next year. It'll probably be maybe for the pro staff first, but eventually it'll get to everyone else. Called, it's called our wear feature. And what it does is it, is it evaluates the topography and the vegetative cover of, of an area. And it makes a prediction on where you might find a rub line, uh, scraping activity, uh, a buck bedding, acti- buck bedding, those types of things. And so I made the wear feature available to a couple of people. Garrett was evaluating. Greg was looking at some stuff on there. So Greg had got back to me and said, hey, you know, I don't really see anything on here with deep cuts. Yeah. And I was like, what are you, what, what? And he's like, oh man, like what, do you not hunt deep cuts? And I was like, what are we talking about right now? Like, what, <laughs> what, yeah. what is this? So I, I, like, I'm not like a mountain. I, I, I didn't grow up hunting in the mountains. I grew up in the Midwest hunting agriculture. And he was like, oh, dude, like, you know, your system like pointed out these places on the map, like to go and hunt at, but it didn't say anything about these things. And I was like, so I'd been talking to John. So I, I talked to John and my first instinct was Greg's crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what a deep cut is. That's and, good. I love crazy people. Right. They're on their own. They, right. they see things in their own. But then you can't argue with yeah. the man's success, yeah, right? You're, yeah. So, you're fucking nuts. So that's right. it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, John, do you remember this? Because I texted you and I was like, hey, Greg's been telling me to go hunt these like deep cuts. And I thought, is he fucking with me? Yeah. <laughs> I, seriously, do you remember this or not? Because you were remember. like, what does Greg mean by deep cuts? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, he's like talking about how the deer have to get around like a part of like the mountain where there's a like, really intense draw and there's only one place where they can get through without like you know really cutting the valley open yeah and i so i was like i've never even so i went back to the data and sure enough like out of the mountain data that we had yeah it seemed to be like a good place but here's the funny thing about it right we didn't have enough mountain data for the system to pick up on it so the system was not highlighting these areas as concentrated deer movement 
vectors, patterns. The, the, that, that direction of travel is not something that the machine was picking up on, simply because we don't have enough mountain data. But that goes back to like everyone's got like a certain way of doing things. And that's the way it should be because it, right? he's not in a mold. He, don't, he didn't learn from everybody else and just jumping on a bandwagon. Greg learned from his evaluation of the deer in his area he hunted. I learned from me. So when we get together – we can bounce shit off each other, and I think that's the way it should be because we have different ideas, and we have similar ideas. So your Pennsylvania crew might laugh at me, but it's like a deep-cut strategy, like a well-known thing. Like a lot of people talk about this type of thing. I wouldn't say a lot of people, but it's definitely a, a good strategy. It all depends on how the topography lays out, too. Okay. In the areas yeah. like... Say there's some areas that might not be as steep that might not have those deep cuts, so then yeah, it's yeah. not as not as prevalent as areas that have some of those areas. Like th- there'll even be places like okay, say southern Ohio that might not have these like tall mountains, but they're steep, and they'll have more deep cuts than some of these areas that have more rolling tops and and valleys that come up. And it's yeah, it's it's very situational and very detailed as far as like where those places might be, but it is you can find those pieces, those deep cuts really yeah. in in a bunch of different places. So. It's just like being in the Midwest and then, you know, maybe not watching as many hunting videos as I should have when I got out to the East Coast and I started hunting like Western Maryland or West Virginia. It's probably like good that. you didn't watch hunting videos. Probably, maybe, but it certainly wasn't something that permeated the culture. Like a deep cuts, it was not even like a thing. It wasn't even a term I knew anything about, right? Like like I hadn't even heard the term. So like my first reaction was, is this guy messing with me? Like, is this a thing that happens out here? So now we have our second idea, right? Yeah. We've got the Johnny Stewart pearls of wisdom. You got to produce a, like a, like a for, series with Greg, Greg yeah. called Deep Cuts, right? Where he's talking to people about how to hunt. Yeah, deep and, and deep so cuts. basically, for anyone listening, what a deep cut is is a draw. So say you have two points that come off the the mountain ridges that are going, and in the middle you have a little valley that goes up. Well, where that comes down, it's really steep to a point where it's the deer deer lazy naturally. Johnny talks about this all the time, but they're they're not wanting to go if they can instead of going straight down with their nose almost hitting the ground when they hit and go up the other side if they can walk around a little top there where say maybe a, a lot of times where these deep cuts are is like where a spring seep or like a, a part of a stream will come out of the mountain so it'll be a real steep area and then it'll get just a little bit gradualer that runs around and I'm, I'm using hand movements right now that you can't see but that is kind of what you would consider one of those areas. It basically funnels deer movement. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, I hunted some of them towards the later end of the rut, and I did see some movement in them. I didn't get any little massive bucks going through there, but it definitely seemed to be a place where scent checking could occur, especially yeah uh, during like the latter parts. Of yeah, the when, rut. They're, when they're moving from ridge to ridge, you know, those are type of areas that they they could be covering essentially so yep yeah i learned like the deer in a really rugged mountainous area they uh they don't utilize so much the ridges sometimes but they just walk like the topo lines like you follow a topo line it's level you follow it all the way around and them deer you know like a human it's tough to to walk on that hillside you know and Unless you're West Virginia, you got that one leg longer than the other, you know, from walking them hills. But. <laughs> another, another pearl of wisdom. But anyways, the deer don't, they don't, their their toes, are, their feet are so close to get that. So like, 
It could be rugged. Man, this is tough, rugged, but he's just walking that topo line that runs level, that 1100, right. or whatever, like right. this. following it. And he's just following it, you know, and it's, that's, that's, and they got them toes that really dig into that topsoil. You got your, you're sliding on a hillside. And it well, sucks, when you, but they when just you wear walk. your damn hip waders in the woods. Well, you know, that's. We're tracking Greg's buck, and I we had to get across this river, and, and so we took hip waders, and all the rest of us took them off and put our regular boots back on. John hikes up over the side of the mountain with hip waders on, and he's not even, like, acting like it's even a big deal. And I'm looking at him like, how are you walking? How are your ankles not rolling over, touching the side on the ground? <laughs> Like I don't, I don't know. have ankles. Yeah, he just his it just floats. He just I don't know. He's something else. Yeah, I remember Greg texted me. I, I think I don't know if he made this public or not, but we're, I guess we're gonna make it public now. Um, he had texted me and said like he had missed a buck, or not missed. He had hit, hit a buck. It took a and step. Not found it. Yeah, yeah, because we were texting back and forth because I was hunting in Maryland at the time, and I would go up to like this peak to get service so I could like tell people hey I was still alive or whatever. And I'd gotten this like flood of text messages one morning. It was like, oh man, I arrowed a deer tonight. I can't find it. I've been looking forever. I feel awful. And I'm like, holy crap, Greg really fe- is banged up over this deer. Yeah, he, was. he was. Yeah. I mean, he just was flooding my, my phone with messages. He was like, really upset. Yeah. I mean, right guy to have on a pro staff, right? I mean, yeah. you know, a lot of dudes would just shrug that off and say, no, he on to the next didn't. one. We and, went that night and hiked. It was the deer took a step. Right when he released and hit hit it back, just because it was chasing a doe, you know, it took a step. It lunged it to go. It was actually right where kind of where Bo got his deer, and uh, we hiked yeah. all night. Me, Bo, uh, Greg, and another guy, we just hiked, and uh, he come back the next day, hiked, hiked, and uh, kind of got to the conclusion it might have not fatal, fatal, but or maybe you know. So, do you guys know? Did you see it again on the hoof at all, or we don't even know what year anything? it was? We don't really? even, yeah, we don't even know what might it have was. Been a traveler or something like that. Yeah, and and uh, we haven't been back in there. Yeah, no. And the one it was chasing a doe, it might have went a mile. Right. You, you know, you don't know what where that deer went, but uh, right, right, right. But he, it wasn't. He, a he redeemed deer. himself. Absolutely. Like what? Yeah. Three days later or something? Or a couple of days later? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's November the seventh. That was the same day Mason killed his big one because yeah. we were all up camp celebrating. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Justin was there like filming night. as part of the film. It was pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah a sweet fun. film, by the way. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's it. That's all, Justin. Which you have right. him coming right. on. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess we could mention that a little bit. I don't know. I'm. Rem- I won't mention all of the details, but we are. You know, Spartan Forges. I guess I'll announce it here because you guys are so intimately have been so intimately involved, and in, uh, you know, I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I'll, I'll kind of mention it. Is we are doing a veterans hunt. Um, in November, uh, or I call it a veterans hunt, maybe wounded warriors hunt is the more apt way to say it, but we are going to bring in some guys who, uh, you know, trying to get into the sport and then some other people. And, uh, uh, I won't mention too many details right now because it's, it's all being fleshed out, but, um, you know, we are going to pair some people up with some, with some pro with, with some of the Spartan Forge pro staff and, and get on some public land out here in Pennsylvania and, uh, have one of those good weekends where we're, you know, chasing deer and drinking beer. Um, and have a good time. And then, uh, all of the money that Spartan Forge raises surrounding that event, um, we're going to be making a donation to a, an organization that will be ready to announce pretty soon, but we're, we're getting all the legalese in place and all of the, you know, the, um, the contracts and that type of thing. And yeah, who, you know, all of that stuff's coming, but we will be doing a veterans hunt. So look for that coming from Spartan Forge. You know, I think, um, I really mean this 
I, our, the pro staff, the guys that we've assembled, um, and soon to be gals, you know, that we'll be coming out with here pretty soon, uh, I think is the best in the game. I mean, when you look at like the guys that we've got, you know, John, Greg, um, Andy, Taylor, like if you go on the Spartan Forge Instagram or the website, you can see everyone that's on there. I mean, that's a group of public land killers. Like these are people and like the whole point of the, the company or why I started this thing was just to give the guy who's got, or the gal, who has got a full-time job, like a little, a little bit of an upper hand mm-hmm. when it comes to being successful in the deer season, whether that's just chasing meat and just getting food on the table or putting some antlers on the wall, right? Just that little advantage, right? Like Bo said earlier, I'm not going to put you on, I'm not going to, my program is not going to tell you where the buck is and that you just need to go in there and shoot them. But it's going to give you, like in the NFL, they use artificial intelligence. Google with map, Google Maps, they use artificial intelligence. Poker players play against artificial intelligence systems. You know, Gary Gasparov was beat by Deep Blue in 1997. It was an artificial intelligence system. What's that? Oh, uh, in 97, the first uh, Gary Gasparov, Kasparov was a the best chess player in the world oh. and IBM funded this team of researchers and they built this artificial intelligence that beat a human for the first time in chess wow. that happened in the late nineties. It was kind of like the turning point for artificial intelligence. Interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, ever since then, you know, it's just, it's pattern recognition and it's there to give somebody a leg up. So it helps make poker players better. The NFL wouldn't invest in it if it didn't work. Yeah. There's and patterns in hunting. Everything. Nothing's, like I said, I always time I give an answer on hunting, it's not black and white. I can give you, you know, and, and what these patterns can help you um, decide. Your odds the same thing. Lose. It's not black and white. It's, right. a, it's, a, it's, it's a recent guest I had on the podcast, Mark Livesey. he calls those odds multipliers. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get as many odds multipliers in your favor. Get the odds in your favor. Find that angle on that animal you're hunting. You got to, because they walk through life with the odds in these mature deer with the odds in their favor, and that's why they're surviving. You yeah. got to, you got to yeah. find that angle. And they're walking for their lives, you know? Exactly. How would you negotiate a piece yeah. of property <laughs> if you thought that, you know, at any moment you, you could were get prey. Yeah. Right. Um, you could get killed at any time. So, you know, that's what we're trying to do is we're just trying to give people that little bit of a, a little bit of advantage. And know? I think there's nothing else like it. Like there's other things that are out there, but I mean, this is just like, there's so much data involved that helps, you know, the normal person that maybe ain't spent all that time. And what's yeah, here, you let's, won't have there all you go. That time. You know, a lot of people you are, you know, myself in the military, I just was talking to you guys earlier. There are many ruts where I was overseas. You know, I would get back in the end of December, beginning of January, and all I wanted to do was get some venison in the freezer, you know, and I don't have the time to scout, or I wasn't here all season, or I don't, you know, yeah. I'm working a full-time job, or, or you know, I don't have PTO, and uh, I just want to get a, a doe on the ground, right? Or I just want to spend some time with my son or my daughter and do something, you know, we'll be able to help those people out. It was one of the things I really liked um, when a buddy had told me to look into bringing Andy May on, um, you know, his tag on instagram is like working or dad bow hunting dad bow hunting dad right yep. that kind of sums it up right there like i want to get after the game i want to pursue it it's a passion of mine but i'm also a father or a mother or a brother or a sister and i've got other commitments so if this is going to give me that little bit of an extra leg up when you don't have that time to go you know stare at piles of deer shit with john stewart in the field you can um yeah. just have that little bit of extra help <laughs> um yeah and, and to get it done for people. So, you know, that's really what we're trying to do at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, 
you know, I come from the military, so, you know, we'll, there'll be a lot more about this and announcing and stuff that we're doing going up, but you had brought Justin up, which kind of made me think about it. You know, we are going to get a crew out here of some people. We're going to make some videos, have a good time out here at John's camp. Yeah, hopefully. That's what we're talking. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, go do some hunting. Um, and, you know, people are going to be able to participate and come out. So, uh, you know, we're going to raise money for veterans and for, you know, the people that, uh, you know, the, the kind of the crew of people that I come from, which allow us to do these, you know, ridiculous things that we do and this, you know, the freedoms that we enjoy and all of this fun that we have, you know, this is unique to this country and maybe one or two other ones in the world where people get to live like this. Yeah. You know, and that is all paid with in blood and, and, and treasure and sacrifice. So, you know, we're going to honor some of those guys, bring them out here and yeah, some other cool. people. We're I'm looking put, forward to that. I can't wait. We're going to put some other people on Good some time. deer. That's what it's all about. Yep. Raise some money give it back to those organizations and then um, and help some people out. And I think we're going to, I think it's going to be fun guys. I think we're gonna have a good oh, time. It's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, the, the one thing I'll say, Bill, so if, if someone wanted to, to check out the outfitter and everything we've talked about here, how do they find it? You know, what, what what's uh, the cost of it? What, what are they going to need to put forth to, be able to learn some of this stuff. That's well, an easy question to answer. The only question right now is what code am I going to give them for when I, they pay I for There are two codes here yeah. that I could give. Yeah. yeah well, he so, can give either. He can give either. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, <laughs> so the, 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 the product itself, you can find it at, right now at SpartanForge.ai. And um, this is my shameless big business plug. We're going to be uh, coming out with some new features here uh, very soon. Uh, the price... Uh, will go up from a storage perspective. So we're not doing it to make more money. It's just, we're going to be presenting people with about 30 years of, of weather data. And it's going to be overlaid with all of our neural networks. And that, that incurs a storage cost. So we're going to maybe go up two or $3. Uh, right now it's 25 bucks for the year, um, which I think is very comparable to everybody else out there. Oh, In yeah. fact, it's way better. Um, and with uh, either the East meets West, uh, I'll let people choose. So you can either choose East meets West. They're going to choose Johnny. Or code Johnny, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> and after hearing these stories, I don't know who would want to put money in your pocket, John. i got to be honest. Yeah. With I, hey, I would give him his yeah, code. Yeah, code John. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't endorse nothing if I didn't. Like, there's nothing <laughs> like this out there. Like, yeah. I can, like, I even talked the other night about, uh, on a, it's like, I can do the, the where, where the deer are. I could look at the maps. I could read it, but... The when is the question because right. I'm like everybody else where I got to travel to hunt. I don't live anywhere near my public land. I yeah. travel two to 10 to 12 to 25 hours to hunt, you know, maybe in a day. I've done right. it before, but it's like, when do I need to be there? What's the weather model? What's what's telling me when to be there? Right. But I could find the where. I could I could put the legwork in, but, you know, there's, there's you know, I, I've researched the moon. I haven't really researched it, but in the other the other things that are out there whether it's magazine articles or what to tell you when to hunt but i just feel like it was just one um variable there's just like yeah. so much out there to tell yeah. you when the deer to, to me there's like after just talking with bill here in the last couple of months is like this dude he's on my level and he program he's plugging in like all these things that affect deer movement, and he's yeah. coming out with the with yeah. the option. Yeah, there's no univariable models. Like you can never examine a situation and say that there's one causality, right? You have to have a multimodal. Yeah. I'm talking data science right now, but you need multiple modes of of information in order to make an informed guess about something. So anyway, SpartanForge.ai. 
Um, you go on there. You're, right now, you know, the, the version of the Outfitter that we came out with was simply to get users' input. We didn't even advertise it, right? Um, it was just simply to get users' input on how accurate the models were. They can get that at SpartanForge.ai. We're upgrading that over the summer, um, and then there'll be big things happening for us in like July and August uh, with our app and, and all of that stuff that'll be coming out. And then, you know, as we field these new capabilities, the price will raise a little bit. Anybody that signs up right now, right, I, I consider them like the first wave of, of people and we're going to make sure that their price never changes. So as we raise the price, as we get into more and more features and more and more data sets and more and more prediction, it's going to get insane. Uh, you know, th their price will always be whatever they initially signed up with. I'm not going to jack the price up on anybody. So if they sign up now, that's the price they're going to pay. And as we go forward, um, they'll always pay that as long as they don't leave. So SpartanForge.ai, check us out on Instagram, give us a follow or a like there. And then people who are using it, you know, reach out to me. I'll, I'll talk to anybody on the phone for an hour. Somebody's well, like, hey, I, I've I know got that. some observations. <laughs> yeah. Like John said before, John well, is maybe the only other three. guy I know who will talk deer in March for hours on the phone. All my other buddies are like, dude, shut up. It's turkey time. And I'm like, well, I'm ready to talk deer. So yeah. Anyway, SpartanForge.ai, check us out. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, there's lots of stuff coming and, uh, you know, get ready to hear more about the veterans hunt, which is really the most, the thing I'm excited about most. I yeah, retired from the military in July. So, um, every, you know, everything that I've done in my life, I, I come from the military. I'm a product of the military. Um, I, I'm proof that this is the greatest country in the world. You know, I come from like a really poor family, got into the military. The military gave me everything that I have today. And the first thing that I will do with my business is, you know, honor that my origin, go back and give back to the people who've paid a lot more than I have um, for the freedoms that we enjoy. So even if you don't like the app, you can go and sign up and cancel your, your subscription whenever we launch the, uh, the Veterans Hunt. Then you'll at least know that you're supporting a good cause. <laughs> there you go. And yeah, and if you use the... You use the code East Meets West, you get 25% off. You use the code Johnny, you get 249 So figure, <laughs> figure it Take out. Your choice. Yeah. Take your choice. Take your choice. No. I'm just so, hey, Bill, where, so, like, to me, this is maybe in its infancy or it's just starting. This or is where, the very beginning. Yeah, because I, I know things are like, it's not an app yet, you know, but yep, yep. on a scale of one to 10, where are we at? Three. We're three. So yeah, I mean, and so, like you said, there's things to come. So yeah, I can talk a know. little bit about a couple of things that come very quickly. So we have the weather prediction piece, which is going to talk about it's going to show you the weather variables and the weather normative data for every area in the U.S. for the past 30 years. So if you're from Ohio and you're going to go hunt in Missouri, you're going to be able to look at the catalog the last 30 years of weather data and find out exactly what wind you need to be digitally scouting before you get on the ground. And then we have like a hunting journal uh, portion which is going to, it's really intuitive. It's a great way to display the journal so that when you're in the field or whatever, you take a picture, you can catalog what you observed, which way the deer was running, uh, wh what activity you're obser uh, observing. Uh, that journal, I, I really hang my hat on that. And then there's a couple of other things that we're field testing right now. They got to work the bugs out on. Uh, our wear feature is 70, 80% of there. And then um, we're figuring out a way to host that. And then we do have an application that we're developing right now that'll be available on the app store at some point over the summer. And uh, yeah, on a scale of one to 10, we're at a three right now. Cool. Yeah. So and, there's a lot um, to come. I mean, for your price, if you yeah, log in we've now. bootstrapped all of this. And that is to say that we started this with our own money and our own time. 
And as people sign up, you know, we're into the thousands of, uh, of subscribers right now. We did that without one advertising dollar. It was just from being on podcasts yeah, and people good. signing up, you know, and we were able to take that money and reinvest it right back into the business and keep going. So, uh, you know, uh, the, we uh, are, are doing right by, I think we're doing right by the data science, the hunting community, the ethic that's involved in that, and lastly, and most importantly, the customer. So, you know, uh, I encourage everyone to take a look at this and, uh, and give it their own evaluation and reach out to me if you want to talk more about it. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate you uh, coming on talking here. I that's think it good, was good, Bill. Very good. That's scientific book. I, I need I need Johnny on as a co-host too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dude, you know what? I was just thinking during this podcast. I think it's time for me to cut jo- John a check and say we need to do a Spartan Forge podcast <laughs> hosted by Johnny Stewart. <laughs> yeah. and I, I don't care. I'm going to get him to. I'm going to get like the, you know we spend a lot of money with Google. Our machine. Uh, our, I was thinking to myself during this podcast. Uh, get someone from Google's TensorFlow section, which is the artificial intelligence computer section. Like, look, hey, guys, we've put a lot of money into your company, you know, training these neural networks for hunters. I want you to come meet my buddy Johnny. You guys are going to get on a podcast for an hour. I want Johnny interviewing <laughs> yeah. a, a doctorate in neural science with a computer science background. Hey, so, uh, listen, thinking about, like, the people, analogies that could come from yeah, that. Yeah, so here's a good story. So the uh, <laughs> I've been doing excavation since I was four years old, you know all forms so uh <clears throat> the other day i uh i had to go out to a site and dig a infiltration test hole we were to see if the water infiltrates into, into the ground and so this guy was there and he had a degree he talked to me about the degrees he had and where he went to school and i was kind of blown away so i felt like you know i was asking him questions you know about the soil like that's a whole different subject, you know, the right, right, right. soil and water and moisture and this and that. And it was funny. So this guy was like, but there's different types of intelligence. Absolutely. You know, like you could be trained or taught and that's what, you know, it's like, a, like I've, I've used it before. Like you're a sponge, you're soaking all this up. People were telling you, but a different way, like I, I guess it's a different teacher, like maybe the deer teach me, you know, so this kid, his kid was just like, I remember at the end of the day and I'm like, wow, this guy's really intelligent. I feel like a dumbass. I didn't even, <laughs> I barely got out of high school. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this guy's pretty smart. But at the end of the day, he had this weird tool that he pressed down in the soil and it would like make a hole in the soil and the water would filter down through and he brought the tool up and then there was like dirt stuck in this like cylinder type deal and he looked at me like he said how do i get this dirt out of here i'm like what what i said you got the degree not me i said i don't know get a stick and dig it out you know it was just like there's come on harvard boy yeah there was like way different types of intelligence and i talked to him he's a nice guy you know but um and i remember where we were parked there was like he couldn't even get his car turned around to get out i'm like i watched him go forward and backwards about eight times you know but it's like it's weird how people differ and how they yeah, learn and absolutely. how how I've like and that's how I can like I bring in analogies because it's like so you can relate to it you know just but it it was just like, well, like wow this like, guy this guy is so like like blow me off the charts in intelligence I'm I'm like I went to algebra for four years and I still never passed you know right. what I mean <laughs> well I mean intel uh, 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 degrees like a tool it's only useful in the right hands. 
Yeah, you know what I mean. Sense. So you know, a guy can go get all the degrees and bona fides. And it was guy was like, and he was like, John's like, give me a hammer, and that's my tool. I'm good. Right, I'm good. <laughs> I'm not even good with a hammer, but it's like, <laughs> I, I I think I'm self-taught. Like everything I've done, I've taught myself and learned from what I was doing. And like I said, my experience is that even in the excavation field or the deer hunting woods. I didn't, I just learned from experience. And to me, the experience was doing things wrong. I've done it enough wrong. Like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. You know, just uh, in the field kind of learning, like with the deer and stuff like that, not some, someone to teach you, like, this is the guideline, you know, with deer. And it is, there is no guideline. There's no hard and fast rule. That's certainly that I, something that I figured out in all of this. And that's what I love about it. There's no. Every deer, every piece of woods, there's so many scenarios and situations and cover and yeah. land and pressure that you can never, you know, uh, you just, just have a toolbox full of tools. Well, to I mean, work. I even learned that today. I've never been in an area where deer feed on fern. Oh, he, yeah. So there yeah. you go. John, Johnny is the the great and wise teacher here in this situation. Yeah. That was pretty wild. He said, they were caught up on deer shit. I was like. Come on, we gotta look for horns. <laughs> Man, look at stuff. We kind of see tell him to the voice. Okay, we uh, Sixty files, like okay. <laughs> but I told Bill, I said I brought you to my honey hole. It's not like you know I know yeah. the deer are here. It's not like every other spot. You know what I mean? I t- we found a horn. I said we're gonna find a horn. There's horns here. And if we had a little more time, we probably would have found a Certainly. fresh one. That was good. I'm glad you guys come up. Yep. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. This thank was fun. You. It was. It was. A, it was a blast. I this was a blast. It. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.